Recorded live. Shalom for another record. This is Minister Shadrach Ben Israel, Tribe of Judah. And welcome to Thursday Night Fellowship Line. The time now is 7 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time, uh, 6 o'clock p.m. Central. And we are um, back from off our break. Uh, this is our second week off break. <laughs> and um, I stumbled across some very interesting news just a few seconds ago um, on Google um, News. And uh, this is being reported by CNN as well as the New York Times. So let me click on it. And the New York Times states this uh, article was reported by uh, Alan Blender 11 hours ago. And it says that the United States reopens Emmett Till investigation almost 63 years after his murder. Uh, It says, states that the federal government, they quietly revised the investigation. Uh, the 14-year-old African-American boy whose abduction and killing remains almost 63, almost 63 years later amongst the starkest and most searing examples of racial violence in the South. The Justice Department said that it's renewed inquiry, which it described in a report submitted to Congress in late March was based upon the discovery of new information. It is not clear, though, whether the government will be able to bring charges against anyone. Most episodes investigated in recent years as part of a federal effort to reexamine racially charged, racially motivated murderers have not led to persecution uh, over even referrals to or even referrals to state authorities. Um, Uh, they stated a uh, central witness, Carolyn Bryant Donham, she recanted parts of her account of what transpired in August 1955. So that's why they, uh, the Justice Department, um, the Justice Department decided they were going to uh, reopen the case. And they said that the two men who confessed to killing Emmett Till only after they had been acquitted by an all-white jury in Mississippi are dead. Um, Yeah, stated that the article also talks about how the case historical markers about the case have been vandalized. Um, Someone stated, I don't think this is something the South is going to forget easily, said Joyce Childs, a former district attorney in Mississippi who was involved in mid-2000s review of the Till case that concluded with no no new charges. Yeah, it says that Ms. Donald's description of the events leading to the attack has repeatedly shifted. On one account, had the boy only insulting her verbally in court, but without jurors present. She claimed that Emmett had made physical contact with her and spoken in crude sexual language. She later told the, she later told the FBI that Emmett had touched her hand. And when she spoke to the researcher Timothy B. Tyson in 2008, she acknowledged that it was not true that Emmett had grabbed her or made vulgar remarks, she told Dr. Tyson, who published a book about the case last year, that nothing that boy did could ever justify what happened to him. Neither Ms. Donham nor Dr. Tyson could be reached for comment on Thursday. 
Ms. Childs, the former Mississippi uh, prosecutor, said that Ms. Donald's recantation should have provoked a new examination by the federal authorities. But she also suggested that even truthful testimony in the mid-1950s would not have changed the legal outcome given the racism of the time. Um, I don't think it would have resulted in a different verdict, she said. Um, Emmett Till's cousin, Enrica Gordon Taylor, who was raised by his mother, said Thursday that some members of the Till family had previously learned of the Justice Department's inquiry. Ms. Gordon Taylor, who is president of the Mammy Till Mobley uh, Memorial Foundation, said the news came as no surprise and declined further comment. Uh, the case is renewed, uh, and prominent tests for the Justice Department officials charged with investigating multiple murders that are thought to have been racially motivated. Um, yeah, that's basically what's going on in this article. It's more in the article. I don't want to read too much of it. Um, if you guys want to read the article for yourselves, again, the article is written in the New York Times. It's also being talked about on CNN. The um, NewYorkTimes.com, uh, www.NewYorkTimes.com, and this is written by Alan, A-L-A-N-D, Blender, B-L-I-N-D-E-R. This is written 11 hours ago. Um, and the name of the article is U.S. Reopens Emmett Till Investigation Almost 63 Years After His Murder. So is there anyone on the line, anyone have any thoughts about that considering the racial climate of today? Is there anyone there? Well, I'll Shalom. just say... Shalom. This is Ema. Oh, sh- Shalom, Mother. How are you? I'm fine. I was just hoping somebody else would, you know, make a comment on it. Okay. Uh, it's ironic that it, they bring that up today, you know. And when uh-huh. I, they had it on the news. I actually saw it on the world news, you know, on the news. And mm-hmm. I was thinking to myself, wow, this is... Um, you know, kind of a crazy time to bring that up or even, mm-hmm. you know, look into it or even with an all-white jury, they had already decided what they was going to do, you know. Right. And then I seen, you know, I see a lot of interracial couples, and I, I had seen a Negro guy and, a, you know, his Caucasian, you know, woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had been together. I've known them they've been for a long time, and I was thinking yesterday when I saw them, not knowing this story was going to pop up today, I was thinking, wow, you know, years ago he wouldn't have been able to do that freely, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and for what has happened to our young men and a lot of our men back then in those days, you know, for our brothers and sisters to run around with the uh, total, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, races that they're with, mm-hmm. I said, wow, they just don't know, you know. The mm-hmm. times have really changed, and it's just kind of, you know, kind of strange that it brings up because you already know those people were dead. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. Yeah. And, um, you know, I noticed that, because uh, I know that we spoke several times before um, about racial propaganda and um, how it's being promoted through the media really heavily. It's almost kind of like we're in a 
we're in some type of, I don't know, time warp or something. Mm-hmm. Um because all of the things that I'm assuming happened during the 19, you know, 50s. 60s mm-hmm. and well before the 1960s, you know, are seem like they're manifesting today, which kind of just shows that this whole thing about, I guess, what we're calling racism in this country is not um, is not necessarily um, – I guess the understanding is is not there, and it never has. It never has been. I mean, even when you read the scriptures, you can still tell that what we're calling, I guess you could say, racism to uh, today probably would have been more of uh, religious ideology, culture ideology, uh, tribalism, and things like that. Because I know that even with Abraham, I know that, you know, he did business with certain different nations, um, and he didn't get along with certain other different nations. Well, whereas in his great-grandchildren, you know, um, of the Israelites, of the Judah tribe and uh, many other various tribes, they married uh, within other different uh, nations and cultures. And... um, not real, and at some point, you know, realizing that some of, not all of, the hardships and and um, the reason why they uh, fell on some type of misfortune is because they were marrying into these other different cultures who had different beliefs. Um, but more so different who were from different tribes and different cultures. You understand what I'm saying? So you have the the spiritual aspect, the religious aspect, uh, um, what people believe in and how that dictates uh, how a person maneuvers in the society and how you don't want to mix with that person and uh, that person's uh, ideally, ideology when it comes to who to worship and things like that. But then there's the culture of tribalism. You understand what I'm saying? I, I think there's a, I think our ancestors at that time, or what it appears to be at that time that our ancestors were more involved uh, with nature as scientists, and they saw certain things metaphysically and spiritually and physically different. They saw themselves different in a lot of different ways. And there were certain uh, um, prohibitions uh, against, you know, race mixing, what we call it a race mixing and things like that. And here we are in 2018 where we're still dealing with that. uh, And and I don't even want to call it what you call corporate racism, but that's what it kind of, falls into because you have this whole idea of black versus white, and that seems to only be the uh, moving issue when it comes to racism, black versus white, black versus white, black versus white. I mean, you never hear about uh, um, whites marrying within the Chinese or whites uh, not 
or should not be allowed to marry the Japanese or whites not being allowed, not allowed to marry the Hindustanians or the Iranians or anything like that. It's like every time it comes to racism, uh, there's this front of whites should not marry black people or the the general idea of racism is only centered around uh, what they're calling black and white issues. So I'm thinking to myself, there's got to be some type of agenda behind it because why are why is it when it comes to racism in, or what they're calling racism in this country that what they're calling white and what they're calling black have always been the center of discussion? Mm-hmm. You understand what I'm saying? Like that, people have to like really start thinking about that. I mean, I, I even I had this conversation with you guys some time ago, and I'll speak briefly about it. Where I was telling you about the book I read um, of this uh, Aryan guy, and I say Aryan because I, 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 the way he spoke, I know he was Aryan. Uh, he had Aryan ideology because he obviously. Uh, detested the Negro. He hated the the nigger. Let me say it that way. Cause that's the way he stated it. Um, but he was very uh, he was very convicted in terms of who was the mastermind behind what we're calling racism in this country. And his whole ideology centered around what we know today is the Jewish people. Now I've met some Jewish people. And, you know, from what I know, most of them have been fairly nice people. And I'm assuming that these Jewish people who are the movers and shakers behind a lot of the turmoil and propaganda in this country are not the same Jewish people that we see in, you know, our daily lives. I like to think that these Jewish people are uh, are part of this 1%. Um, because I know that, or I realize, or it appears to be that there are a lot of these people who uh, are movers and shakers. Um, they they hide behind politics and things like that, and I think the only way you can ever really do that is if you you have a lot of money, because we know that in this country, money is power. Um, and he talked about how the Jewish people will always. Um, backing the Negro and how their mission was to overthrow the white Christians and uh, the or white Christian uh, society and and I'm assuming the religion as well because uh, you in order for the Christian idea to really survive, it has to be perpetuated in people's daily lives. So if there's no society, then I assume there wouldn't be no religion. And um, I'm I'm, bring, I'm making all I'm bringing all of this up to uh, create this understanding of this racial propaganda that we're seeing now. I don't know if anybody knows this, but there is supposed to be a Emmett Till movie that's supposed to be coming out. And um, uh, what's the young lady's name? Uh, Awesome actress. I cannot remember her name. She just did uh, uh, um, Proud Mary. Um, what's the sister name? Because she looked just like my younger sister. 
Um, Taraji P. Henson. Taraji P. Henson. Yeah, and I'm surprised. I can't remember because she looks just like my younger sister. But anyway, um, Taraji P. Henson, she's supposed to be the sister that she's supposed to be playing the mother of Emmett Till. And I think she's supposed to be like the co-producer of the movie. I already know that she's going to do an awesome job because she has very awesome acting skills and she can cry on the drop of a dime. So I already know she's going to pull some heartstrings. But that's just the thing. When you have this movie that's being made, and I don't know exactly when it's supposed to be coming out, but she's went on BET to promote this. And I saw the interview. She was about to cry in the interview. But um, now that and the fact that the United States Supreme or the United States the Justice Department is about to uh, open the ca- reopen the case at the, all of this time, and with so much about racism being uh, promoted through the media every other day. Somebody, so I don't know if anybody noticed. Just well, I think this is a couple of days ago. Somebody. Uh, uh, a property manager, she got fired because she called the cops on this guy because he had socks on in the pool. I was like, I mean, it's one thing if you would have told him, say, hey, young man, you can't have the socks on in the pool, but calling the cops on the guy because he had socks on, he wasn't in the pool. He was sitting by the poolside, and he had socks on. And she called the cops on him, and she lost her job. So, I mean, there's a. I mean, I honestly don't think that that's this is the right time for them to do it. I don't really see the motivation behind it because. What are you gonna do? Well, first and foremost, I have to ask this question: Does anybody know if the, if that lady is dead? The white lady uh, who who accused Emmett Till. Yeah, she did, brother. She's probably dead. I'm pretty sure. You understand what I'm saying? Okay, so now I'm here's my sure. point. Who are you going to prosecute? Right, right, right. Like, what is the whole point of bringing it up? Okay, you're reviewing, you're reviewing somebody, you're reviewing a case of which all the parties are dead. Who exactly are you looking to prosecute? Are you uh, going to prosecute the jury? Are you going to prosecute? The the family members of the people who you know you know uh, uh, um, were related to these people who were part of this whole case. The two men who supposedly killed the guy they're dead. I don't see the motivation behind it, and I really think that this just adds fuel to whatever whatever it is that they're trying to promote. They're trying to do something. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can see it festering every other day. I mean, I can't turn on. This is why I don't have a TV. This is why I have, you know, my laptop and my computer, and when I do want to find out something, I either go on YouTube or I read about it. Mm-hmm. But I, I find it hard to... I almost get away from uh, it because every time you look at it, there's always something being promoted. Yes, ma'am? I put up, uh, her name was Carolyn Bryant. Yes, ma'am. She kind of looked like she's a, a Negro woman in a sense, you know. 
Mm-hmm. For real, she she looked kind of, you know, she could have some black blood in her. But anyway, um, I found a link, <clears throat> link where it says, Woman linked, linked to 1955 Emmett Till murder tells hysterias her claims were false. And this article was written January uh, 2017. And it says for six de- decades she had been the silent woman linked to, you know, one of the most notorious crimes in the nation's history, the lynching of Emmett Till, a 14-year-old black boy. But I guess she's still alive, I guess. I mean, Carolyn Bryant is her name, Donham. So I'm going to look up that name to see if she's still alive. Well, then Um, here's... Oh, go ahead, brother. uh, Shalom. She she passed, but before she passed, she admitted to the... uh, He didn't do nothing. That's why they're making a big... That's why they're making a big uh, issue of it, because she did uh, announce he was innocent. And with that idea. Mm, That's that's just... You know, but that's that, you know. That I just think mm-hmm. it's like, well, what is the point now? <laughs> you understand? But she, I feel like, well, obviously, and it looks to me that she freed herself of guilt before she died, or she thinks she did, rather. I don't know. Let me say it that way. Right. But now you brought, you. I would say that you brought shame to you know, your descendants or whoever, you know, is related to you because now it's going to look like you did it, you waited till you were about to die to review it, reveal it so that you don't have to do the time for it because you knew all of this time that that man was guilty. But like she also said, keep in mind, with the racial climate at the time, the outcome wouldn't have been any different. The verdict would have not been different. Hmm. Nothing would have changed. They would have not did anything to her simply for for the simple fact that she was white. And you know what's so crazy is that she basically, in a sense, was saying that, even though she didn't say it, but she was saying that. I knew they wouldn't have did anything to me anyway because I'm white, which is why I think it's so important for us to really understand who we are as people, and uh, who we are in this society so that we don't keep walking around blindly thinking that, you know, um, that, you know, status isn't anything, that it doesn't, that status doesn't matter. It does matter. That lady knew that her status could get her off scot free, and it did. I was thinking to myself, she's lucky this wasn't the Roman Catholic Church, because you know they dig up your bones and they'll condemn you. Did <laughs> mm. <laughs> I was like, what that movie was uh, the pit in the pendulum? The beginning of the movie, you see the you see Tokyo Mata. He digs. He literally digs up this man's coffin in the presence of his wife and child, and literally whipped the bones, gave the bones twenty lashes, and extorted these people's inheritance and property from them and gave it to the church. Condemned these people and told them that they are now fugitives. And um, all their property is now held by the church. And he uh, he crucified them. 
Uh, the lady was burnt alive, and the child was whipped, which should really, you know, it, 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 it said something to me at the time. Well, it reaffirmed to me that one thing is that at that time, if you committed a crime, which would have been considered as high treason, and the reason why they dug up his grave was because they believed he was a heretic. Of course, during, you know, the Inquisition, if, you know, you were found to be a heretic, you would have been considered as a, uh, um, you, you would have been considered as committing treason and uh, apostasy, and you would have been uh, excommunicated. And the church could, I, I guess, by some divine right, um, commit you to civilism more tooth. And um, you could have experienced capital punishment while all your property was taken away from you, which is a, which is the exact same thing that they did to us, except that they kept us alive. So I guess you can say in, it was mercy for us, but we're still living civil little more too, so to speak. But um, it's like now with that story being, you know, uh, with that story surfacing now, um, and with all of it coming out, because now we understand that she waited till she she waited till her deathbed to actually tell the truth. I I guess now I'm just wondering if like what what do we what do we as people learn from the way that things operate here in the United States about ourselves in terms of. Uh, uh, racial politics and things like that. Because now, I mean, the family will, I mean, I don't care what they plan on doing with the case. The family's never going to get justice. There's nobody to convict. You know, so um, anybody have any other comments or thoughts about that? Uh, I always think about in order for something to live, something has to die. That always runs across my mind, you know, mm-hmm. even going back to the scriptures, and it still applies today. Um, it has made a big difference in our society because, like I said, I see a lot of brothers and sisters that are outside of their race now. Um, right. It could be um, an agenda uh, not obvious agenda to the common folks, but it could be an agenda to continuously try to divide and conquer to keep the status quo the way it is. I think that uh, with us and in, in what we've learned and what we're experiencing and what we're going through, there is a big shift in status, uh, uh, you know, because up in the White House, from the White House to um, – England, to the Queen, to everywhere, if you notice, um, a lot of things, even on the news, a lot of stuff that never was reported or to the forefront, yes, true that technology has a lot to do with it getting out to the people, but, you know, it, it seems like a lot of things are transpiring among the world, particularly here in the United States, that you just never thought when you were growing up that these things would be even exposed, you know, for instance, like what we always talk about, what's going on in the White House. Uh, how can, uh, you know what I'm saying? Does that yes, make sense? So I think it's an agenda to keep that mentality 
that you know in a in a in a subtle way because it's not really working. The children go to school; they're among the other races. They're getting along. They fight. Right. They argue. They mix. They mingle. They marry. Blah blah blah. But there's a, a subconscious. A group or somebody out there still wanting to push this agenda because there are other topics that are going on in the world today that people are beginning to be see the light and start to right. ask questions. So to keep everything is divide and conquer. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Order through chaos is what they say. Yeah. And um, I, I'm, I'm thinking. You know, they these are obviously maxims that they live by. And see, a lot of people don't take these maxims serious. They just think that there's some old proverbs um, that just seems to exist in some quote-unquote fake book. But they don't realize that these are natural that these are natural principles that these quote-unquote higher ups live by. They live by these things. So it kind of makes sense what I'm saying, it, don't yeah, it? Yeah, it, it makes a whole lot of sense what you're saying. They live by these, uh, like, say, for instance, um, some people may see, like, these Latin uh, maxims or proverbs written on uh, these, um, uh, what do they call them? Papas. Yeah, or uh, sh- uh, shields, um the little family crest and things like that, or a crust or something of that nature, the body or corpus or what they call them, they'll see these little Latin maxims and stuff, and they just think that these are just some phrase that doesn't mean anything. These things mean something. These people live by these things. They're not just something that they just throw around because these are models. These are mission statements. Mission statements. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? Some of these people use these things as mission statements. So I I think for me, when I see the whole thing, I'm, I mean it, it's a it's a lesson to be learned uh, for me because I'm, I'm you know I'm young and I'm still processing um, how life works. And I highly doubt that I'll ever get it right. Um, But I I think for me, I just have to understand how to make it work. And I think we all have to kind of understand how to make it work um, so that we can uh, keep going. Um, But I honestly don't think that, you know, throwing, uh, opening up this case is going to do anything. It's like throwing salt on. On, on fresh on old wounds or something that you know, or opening up old wounds. Let me say it that way. And I mean, it's not going to bring about any uh, remedy to the people. But as you stated, that it obviously has opened up um, the desire to um, uh, mix and mingle with other cultures. I mean, we we have been doing it. Um, we have been doing it for quite some time, but I think that we have to come to a point where we look at it and say, "Is it hurting us or is it helping us?" Um, and I think that'll be something that'll be answered in due time, because no one can really say for sure exactly when Israel is ever going to get back together. However, 
We know that it's coming. And that's a question that really have to ask ourselves. Is it going to either help us or going to hurt us? Um, I just hope that people are strong enough to handle the truth, you know, because for the longest time we we ran from uh, uh, things that, you know, we said that we were going to do and we didn't do, and we paid for it. And um, and this isn't even just the whole rate, the whole uh, intermingling issue. It's the whole committing ourselves to something and, and not necessarily, you know, fulfilling it. And then when we get all of these things that start to happen to us, it's like, well, why is it happening to us? <laughs> and we dig a deeper hole, deep, uh, a deep, a deeper hole for ourselves than we should. But I'm just—I would like to see how it's going to play out. I'm sorry, um, someone's going to speak. I have speak. another comment on that. You know, I, I also noticed over the sixty-some years of my life that you know the, the people in power—they always do things and and do it statistically so. Uh, and it could it be because I would think that most young folks that were born, you know, way down the line, you know, the seventies, eighties, nineties, they have no clue about nineteen fifty five and Emmett. Okay, and right. that, that that information is not re- really being taught in schools, and it's not really some. If I walk, I, I guarantee, if you walked up to about ten young folks and asked them who's Emmett Till, they wouldn't even know. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Then right. if you would ask them, tell them the story, tell them what happened, and even specify, well, hell, everybody's gone, what do you honestly think their emotions would be? I already can imagine what the emotions are going to be because it would be the exact same emotions that I had before I came to the nation. Okay. When I found out about me. You understand what I'm saying? I was hurt. Mm-hmm. I was I was devastated. I cried for a whole month. Mm-hmm. Every day it was it was it was almost kind of like I was in a deep depression because when you like I said when you live your whole life thinking a certain way or seeing certain things and then having that make you think certain ways and then you're kind of like almost forced into reality which we call a reality check it really hurts. So I can't imagine what it was like. When I, it was like, I, I think I was more enraged because when I got to, I was, I was in college and I had to find out this stuff. I was like, well, why, why now? Like, why not back then? And why, you know, almost, you know, twenty something years down the line? Why can't I find this out? And I was like five or you know ten or something like that. And I came to the conclusion that. It wasn't time. I don't think it was time. I, I mean, even considering the fact that we have all this information out there, I still don't think it was time because what could I have done with it? What could I have done about it? Someone's going to say something. I'm sorry. I was just saying nothing. You could have done nothing. But I think I think I'm, I'm thinking a little bit differently. You're, okay. You're 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 different. You're you're kind of a different breed, and you're kind of the last. You guys, like the ones in the nation, your, your age group, y'all kind of the last of that 
that generation of of consciousness as far as historical consciousness, emotional consciousness, spiritual consciousness. I think that the people today, the young folks today, would say, oh, wow, you know, but I don't think they would be angry about it. I think we, the children and the people of today, the young folks of today are more materialistic and, and not as emotional. I don't think it would affect them like it affects you. You know what I'm saying? I just don't think that. I And I say that because I do a lot of talking with younger folks, and they're mm-hmm. kind of like in another world, you know, another frame yeah. of thinking. And, yeah. and the unification of the whites and blacks, they're more tighter than ever now. You know, Caucasians mm-hmm. and Negroes are, are running together, laughing together, um, marrying and, and, and having children together. I just see, I, you know, and, and like I said earlier, I think it's a agenda from another conscious level to kind of ignite something that really is, has no relevance. It, right. it, you know, and, and, and if, if it was, if it, if, if, if they was, if those empire power put this out or putting this out there to, uh, to assume that people of today would feel the same way you felt five or six years ago, it would work. But I don't right. see that. I don't really see that. You know, I just don't mm-hmm. see that anger or that frustration that we might have had or we had back then, I don't see that now, you know, because the world has become a different world to the people today. It's more materialistic, get, 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 you know what I'm saying? And and yeah. intermingle or, or unity among people. It's just everybody's doing their thing with everybody. You know what I'm saying? I could kind of see, I, I could kind of see that. I think it's here and there. But yeah. before I say that, I need to say, I think Brother Eric is about to say something, cause, and I, I yeah. wanted to give him a chance to speak. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Brother. Oh, I was going to wait to Emma get through. No, no. I, what do you think, Brother? I mean, I, oh, I, 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 on I, that I level, that. I was I was going to piggyback on what you were saying. Uh, okay. I, I see. I see it as being a, a test. You know. You know. Mm-hmm. They they have to. You have to run a test to see where yeah. uh, where where your students at, or mm-hmm. to see who who out there. So you know, if, if they doing if they doing this test, you know, throwing the Emmett Till card. I mm-hmm. mean, they seeing how. I, I see it being played, you know, multiple ways. The first way they could play it, they could say, "Well, hey, you know, we do care for y'all Negroes. We going back all this time, and we trying to solve these cases. We just backed up, but we mm-hmm. don't get to you." Then the second, the other way is, you know, uh. The see is the youth is either with the Negro or with them, mm-hmm. you know, because uh, if it ain't, rep- you know, retribution or reparation for, for the immature, then if, if we, like, the uh, what's his name, uh, who started, Trayvon Martins and the Tamir Rice's, they ain't going to get it either, you know. They might get a little change. In the kill, mama might have got a little change. You never know. Right. But uh, but uh, I mean that's how I see it being being played. Just another card like that. And uh, when when people don't res- or respond, they seeing how the response is gonna be. You know, and then right. they'll throw a face that everybody liked to Roger T. Hinton. You know, so now you think it's just a movie instead of a real live uh event that happened. Mm-hmm. You know, cause, cause a lot of a lot of the youth these days they are they are raised to be uh, cold hearted. Exactly. You know, but, exactly. Between the movies 
and everything. And if you really just look at it, the white people are cold-hearted as far as they don't have no fear of nothing. And and with that being said, they feel the Negro. That's why they can kick it. They can kind of relate now because, you know, if, if I turn my enemy into me, we always got something in common. Yeah. Now, right. They don't they don't they don't wanna how you say it, they don't wanna hit a racist. Uh we don't wanna hear about slavery no more. Oh, that stuff old man. You live, you live, that's in the past, you living in these days. Basically they just uh how you say it, gentrifying our history. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, I ain't even, uh, yeah. So uh, and you, the crazy part is we live uh, that brother. Idea. So so it makes sense what I was saying, right, uh, Eric? Yeah. Yes ma'am. You know, I mean, I just see that. I, you know, I, I see it from that perspective, Cedric. It, you know, like he was saying, the young folks, I'm around young folks a lot, you know. I mean, and, and I've got, because I've got young, you know, uh, grandchildren and stuff in my family and, and, and you know, children. And yeah. I see, I hear, I watch them. Even when they post it online, even when they're in conversation with themselves, with me, with their friends, with others, how they're conducting their business, how they're acting, how they feel about other races and stuff, and their mindset is nowhere near what you was feeling three, thirteen, four, five years ago. It's just right. not happening. Yes. And I think, like everything else, when they do uh, uh, medication, when they do this, when they do that, it's a, it's a statistical observation on how the people are going to react. Because, see, they always say the worst fear that they have is for the people, which means everybody to go against them by saying, hey, we want answers. We're, we're not going with this. No, we're talking about a unification of the people, not just black, white, blue, green, or just Hebrews, just Jews, you know. It's everybody. You see what right. I'm saying? That's right. what they fear the most, okay? So that's the way I see it. I might be wrong, but he kind of he put it in another perspective, and that's, that's just the way I see it. I'm around the children and people. I got you. I, I got they you. And I guess like I was looking at the – I'm sorry. Someone's going to say something? I just said they don't feel like you, – you know, you're you're an exception, you know. You are there. You know, you study history. You want to know answers. But right. that mindset with these young folks today, they worry about what they're going to wear, what their next phone's going to be, uh, so forth and so on. I got you. I, you know, and I have to consider the fact that most of the time when they do, uh, if, and, if and when they do hear of uh, the little bit of information that they do get, um, I think because they came in at a time where um, even now it's, it's very, you know, um, integrated. Let me say it that way. See, I I grew up in the 90s where you were still, I guess you can say, exploring with the whole uh, integration. As a, I, I, I like to say we're, we are still living on a whole theory of integration because, as you can see, you're still being tested on how people respond to uh, uh, culture and identity, politics, and all this other different stuff. I didn't take into account that, you know, the generation uh, behind us have been, you know, pacified so much, and, you know, they've been brought into this whole idea of um, of, uh, you know, you're American now. You're not black, and you're not white. You're American. At least that's what they tell them now. And 
you know, because the younger generation, they don't really understand themselves. There's not necessarily any identity being promoted anymore except this one single identity. So they don't see the whole issue of uh, is something wrong going on with uh, this society in how uh, uh, minorities are being marginalized. And I understand why now they're being marginalized. But they don't understand, you know, most of the, you know, younger children, they don't understand why. And and like I said, even when they do get that little light, that little bit of light, it's almost just kind of like what the brother just said about the whole Trayvon Martins and stuff like that. They'll get excited, they'll you know, they'll vent, and then they'll go right back to normal. And this is the constant response pattern that has been happening any time that there has been some kind of, uh, racial injustice. You march, pitch, you know, you pitch a fit, uh, you hold hands, saying kumbaya, and then you go back home. Um, and that is the way that they uh, seem to have tested the response to some type of uh, racial provocation. And um, I guess I'm fortunate enough to see um, how all these different factors are just being thrown at the world and, you know, I guess you could say I'm learning how uh, I can protect myself even within the midst of a, a, a body politic. I can protect myself now. Um, and uh, get away from this propaganda that's being promoted um, but I'd have to say, you know what, you are right. A lot of the youth, they're not really thinking about these things. They're not thinking about these things. They're told what to think about these things. The whole plausible deniability factor comes in. They'll say you, they're showing you the racism of black and white, but then they'll say, well, no, see, this is not the whole issue of black and white. So this is what it really looks like. And so when people start to see it, the younger kids start to see it, they're like, oh, well, it doesn't seem so bad. You know, I could just go back, you know, to my regular life. And then that's just the, that's just, that's the, that's the generation that's going to be left to deal with the whole issue of the propaganda machine. So they already know what kind of fish they're going to catch with the bait that they're throwing out. Um, I'm just hoping that there is a, there's a, there's, there's a hunger still left somewhere out there after this generation that I'm in is gone. I'm, I pray and I hope because um, the, it's not right to play on people's mind like that. I don't care if you're black or white or, you know, Asian or whatever. It's not right to play on people's mentality like that, you know. Um, But like, you know, it was stated earlier, these people don't have a conscious. Um, Well, they don't have a – they don't have the type of conscious that would allow them to uh, see the people that they're praying on is equal to them in terms of morality and uh, 
right. When it comes to that, they don't see people as equally um, yoked. But, you know, I just think that over, I think that eventually, you know, what they put out is what they get back. So, you know, that's just the way that it works. And I just hope that these people who have been so uh, clandestine and, you know, their dealings, um, that's been running this political machine for the, you know, the whole twenty for the twentieth twenty first century. I hope that they are prepared to deal with the same uh, the same plight that we dealt with. You know, I'm hoping that they are. Because, I mean, the generation that's coming up now, a lot of them, you know, they're they're not as, I don't want to say they're not empathetic. I think there's a, there's a certain degree of empathy, but a lot of them are really cold-hearted. And I think that if you're asking these the generation behind us to forgive, I mean, especially when they've been pushed to a point where, you know, I don't know. I don't know how that's going to work. I can't predict the future. Yeah, yes, sir. Shalom. But I, I hear something in you that you're trying to say. If you do imply law to these, to the people who you're talking about and mm-hmm. they do find conviction in themselves and, cre- and, 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 uh, and remove it and fix it, it's good that they're going to be cold-hearted because they ain't going to hesitate without the drop of a dime to hang or rock or stone somebody who get out right. of line once the thing do turn over. So right. it's kind of it's kind of a yeah, you know, because once they start seeing, you know, the kingdom forming, mm-hmm. and they hear yeah. about it, and and it start manifesting itself and, into a bigger, you know, picture, uh, they will jump sides. But you know, if they sold out on us, they're going to sell out on the white folk quicker. So, <laughs> true. <laughs> so, so uh, once they see that, hey, you know, it's a good thing, you know, because basically uh, we took a trip to New Orleans uh, for the 4th of July. And when I was down there, that's, that's another, you know, different world. So, I bet it is. As I'm down there, <laughs> as I'm down there, you know, my cousin showing me, you know, where the weather levee broke and everything. But he explaining, you know, how they gentrifying everything, you know, stuff that they used to could do before Katrina, they can't do now, you know, and different stuff. You know, he's saying there's a white man on every block where it used to be number Negroes. Uh, so, uh, I mean, it's kind of changing. And what I did see uh, was crazy. New Orleans, when they have a funeral, they normally take it to the community and, you know, the community party with the funeral. So they was having a funeral, and I, I attended the funeral to see, you know, because I normally see them on TV. So I went to the funeral, and they took it to the streets and everything. And the white people in that area, all the Negroes came out, and they were dancing and partying, you know, with the, with the live band. But the, the, the white folks was calling the police. The police officer came. And he said, this is what they do down here. So you might as well get used to it. Because if you call us again, we're going to lock you up. 
Wow. So if what yeah. the white folks I, I didn't really quite hear what you said. You said the white folks do what? The white the white people who moved in after Katrina? Right. Uh they that when the when the uh when the the funerals down there in New Orleans they, they have a party. Mhm. They'll come out of the church and the church will mingle with the local community that they have in the uh at what it is, repassing. Mm-hmm. So uh the community was partying, you know, getting involved with the festivities with with, with the uh life, celebrating the the death life and the death of mm-hmm. the the young man. And the white people who had just moved there, they called the police complaining about noise. Mm-hmm. So the police got there and said, baby, you don't know where you're at. You're in New Orleans. And he told the white, man, you call the police on something like this again, they're going to arrest him. Talking about to the white person? Yeah, to the white okay. guy. Mm-hmm. You know, because, you know, they got to identify it and make it, you know, yeah. hey, you know, what, what the white person say, but it ain't going the way they thought they were. So they done bought a bunch of property in an all-Negro neighborhood, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and they got a lock on their gate when they come out. They lock their gate. I'm like, yeah. these folks going to get killed right here in New York. <laughs> You ain't lying. <laughs> you know, and it's crazy that they would even want to even be there. You know, I mean, that's just a cesspool of, you know, it's gone. Yeah. You know, I, I wouldn't even want to move down there. I don't care if I'm white, black, blue, or green. You know? I heard, right. I heard, I heard it was still owned by the French. Yeah. Or France. French. So I thought that, well, yeah. wait, I thought that the, um, some of Louisiana? Uh, New Orleans. I guess New Orleans. New Orleans. Or it might but isn't New Orleans in Louisiana? Yes, sir. Hmm. That's they do have all they do have all French names. Yeah, no, I I know, I know. I hmm, that's real interesting. And I knew that was actually one of the places where the um where the black codes was um where the black codes was enforced because the black the black coat actually came from France, if I'm not mistaken. I think it came during the time of Napoleon, and then I think it came a little bit after him. I can't remember who the, who was the king uh, who enforced it, but yeah, you can read. You can actually find out. I think you can find that in the Black Law Dictionary, uh, the Black Code, uh, or about the Black Code, nonetheless. But um, I was going to say that what those white people had forgot is the little principle that was established in their courts and their common law. And that is that customs make the law. If that is a custom of the people, why would you think that you'd be able to move there and try to enforce that because you have some private property? If those people have been doing that for hundreds and hundreds of years, I don't think that would have stopped then, but, you know, some people have to find out the the some people have to be introduced to the law a whole different way. They keep forgetting that at some point you know money can buy power, but some in some places money can't you know, and um I guess that was their wake up call <laughs> and realized they were walking into customs. That was being practiced for some some long, for a long 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 time, but um, yeah, man, um, it's just a very interesting thing. I I I was um, 
speaking to Brother Priest the other day about a video that I found, I posted it in the university. Not the university, I posted it in the Keys to the Kingdom group on Facebook. And um, this, Cauca- this Caucasian guy, he made this video. I don't know who he is, and I don't know if he's a part of the uh, the the, the sovereign citizens or whatever. I'm not even going to assume that he is, but I know that it came up in the comment section of the video. However, what he he made the video because he bought he bought a house for nineteen thousand dollars, I think, around the time of two thousand and eight, and he paid it in full. He paid for it in cash, and then he ended up having to pay the property taxes. So he made a video because he was he made a payment one time before he asked someone, you know, when will I ever own my home? Because I paying all of this property I'm paying I paid for my home in two thousand and eight and I've been able to own my home since then. Why do I keep paying rent? So then he made the video where he actually called the I think the tax assessor's office and he was getting ready to make a payment. And his yearly payment, I think, is $150 for for property taxes. So he asked the young lady who was processing the payment, he said, um, what was he saying? He said, can I ask you a question? He said, yeah. And and the young lady said, yeah. And And he said, why do I have to constantly keep paying property taxes for a property that I bought in 2008? When will I ever own my property? She said, well, you do own your property, sir. You just have to pay the taxes on it. He said, well, if if I have to pay the taxes on it, then it's not mine. I don't own it. She said, well, you do have to pay the property taxes on it because that's part of the real estate law. And he said, well, who dictates that? She said, well, you need to contact your you need to contact your uh, state representative. And obviously, I think it was in Florida. So it would have been his Florida representative. And so he said, so I need to contact them, and she said, yeah. And she said, well, that's just the way it is. You you just got to pay your tax. And he said, well, I don't understand how I have to pay for something that you're saying that I own, because if I own it, then I don't have to pay nobody. So they're going back and forth and going back and forth. So then he busts out and says, well, I'm going to make – he said, well, how much is the payment? She said, the payment is $150. So then he says, well, I want you to write a note on the payment stating that I'm paying it under duress. So she says, I can't put that on there. And he said, why not? And she said, because that's part of the real estate law. And uh, I forgot what else he, he, what else he said afterwards, but she, she, he, she ended up, saying okay that she was going to do it, and then I think that was the end of the call. But I had brought it up to Brother Priest who was having a conversation um, about um, uh, slavery. And I was just saying to the brother that, you know, these cogazoids are being played. <laughs> They're being played probably worse than we are, <laughs> only because they buy into this system. I'm sorry. I agree. 
you know, they they bought into the system of property ownership. Now, I don't need to find out that, you know, you got to pay property taxes. They don't That's understand nice. why they have to pay property taxes. And um, they are really upset about that, which is why now you see a whole lot of uh, property owners, they're renting properties now. Mm-hmm. You know, they're renting condos and timeshares. They don't want to have to pay their property tax, and um, I guess they, they, I guess they, I guess they realize now it's cheaper to, you know, pay off your uh, to get property that way and keep it as opposed to owning a piece of property or buying a piece of property out of pocket and then every year for the rest of your life you got to pay taxes on it, and um. I couldn't do nothing but just laugh. I, I know I I know that wasn't the type of situation where you you laugh because I know that it happens to everybody. But I laughed at the Cargazoid because I was saying to myself, here it is in 2018 where I know that there's a whole lot of racial propaganda uh, being promoted, and you know a lot of these Cargazoids feel like, oh, I got the upper hand and. I can tell you to get out my country and you need to go back to Africa if you don't like it here. But I'm thinking to myself, the same people that's oppressing you is or oppressing us is oppressing you. Mhm. Mm-hmm. So when you thought that you had a over you had a hand up over us, you still get the doodle end of the stick because the same people that are playing us is playing you. And some of them see it. That's why some of them, you know, they get into the they get into the whole sovereign citizens movement. That's what they call it. Um, and then that's why some of them talk crap to black people because they know what time it is. But then there's the people who just don't get it. They're like, I just don't understand. And I'm like, but that's just so interesting how the history that we have is not, that's supposed to be common knowledge is not common knowledge. Because I was thinking that someone should have told this young man that the reason why you have to pay property taxes is because your country mortgaged the country (laughs) to some bankers. And now you're nothing but a subtenant paying back the debt. So everything that you use you're using it, or everything that's, that you have in your custody, you're using it. So you have to pay taxes on it because you're a debtor. And I feel bad that no one told this white man that that's what's going on and why you got to pay $150 every year for, for the rest of your life. And what's even more sad is that there's really nothing he can do about it. <laughs> Where are you going to go? I mean, where exactly is he going to? Who is who is going to alleviate him? Who has the right of redemption over this carcassoid? Who will want to have? Who will want to redeem him? That's just the thing. Nobody. You see what I'm saying? So and, and, and it's I'm, like, 
I'm sorry. Go ahead, Mother. I want you to I want to emphasize what you were saying. Think about this now. Back in 1933, when they said all persons turn in their silver and gold, do you honestly believe that the vast majority of Negroes back then had a lot of silver and gold? Who were they really asking to turn in all this? Them <laughs> Caucasoids. <laughs> okay. Lord have mercy. <laughs> I just, I just like now, I don't even get offended by some of these white folks because I'm just sitting here like, do you even know the doodle you're in? Mm-hmm. Or you can even cast any kind of hatred towards me. You need to be worried about you right. and what's going to happen to you in the next couple of years. Yeah. All the debt that your people owe to all yeah. these foreigners, wow. all the property rights that your people had. Yeah. If someone else owns it, and the people who look like you, they don't even care about you. That's even that's the, even the, the that's the even worser part about the whole thing, is that the people who look just like this young man that are part of the one percent don't even care about him. He not but a scrap in a bucket to these one percent people. But some of these same people, not all of them, can toot their nose up at people like us, whether they be rich blacks or poor blacks. They can still look down their noses at us and and just, you know, not even think twice about it. And I'm just like, you just don't get it. Because that same person that you look in your nose down to could be the same person that has to redeem you when this thing turns over. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree. You know, and so, I say it all the time. I say it all the time. I say it all the time. They are, they're beginning to see, you know. They fed off of us, so, you know, off of the um, pores and minorities, and, you know. Now they, they, they're near and ate up all the, the, the middle class. You know, they're going up to the people with low money now, you know. Yeah. And they're beginning yeah. to really see that they don't owe nothing and all that. It's, you know, they prayed off of all the people. Now they're going to them. And I say it all the time. They're gonna realize that they're no different than we are. They, they've been led to believe they got, they've had special privileges. So they turned their head when it came to um, certain things. Now that stuff is starting to reflect back on them, is it not? Oh yeah. Oh, and to further your point, I think I mentioned this guy's name. Uh, Mother, you may be familiar with the guy Jesse P- Peterson. Yeah. Remember you said something about um, If you guys haven't checked out this white job, you might want to um, for the sake of some type of uh, humor. I'm going to be honest with you because I literally think his whole gimmick is to fleece these white people because he goes, he has a radio show. Like I do say that some of his line of reasoning is is well understood. But I think he, someone needs to remind him, and I, I find it very interesting, there's a lot of white people who remind Jesse that, Jesse, you're black. You know, you know, you speak about us or you speak about the difference between black and white as if you're white. And you don't get, like, I don't get, you know, a lot of the, Racist white people, they love him because he says a whole lot of things about black people. He, he does 
say a lot of demeaning things about black people, and he reveres the white man. He had a show the other day where he talked about how white people are being oppressed. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. I I couldn't stop laughing because even the white people started saying it because we're being oppressed. And I was just sitting back, and I was at the computer one day, and I just like, I was like, I got to hear this. I, I really want to know where are you guys being oppressed? And then I thought about it, and then went back to the conversation I just had about the young man in his mortgage, uh, the property taxes. Mm-hmm. I'm like, the only people that's oppressing y'all are the same people that's oppressing us. Mm-hmm. The white, the white people that are supposed to be oppressed are oppressing you. <laughs> You did it to yourself. <laughs> Y'all doing it to yourself. Y'all not. I'm, that's why I just, I don't really get the whole, I don't get the whole hatred from white people now when they're being, you know, brought, when history is being brought up to them. Um, because I'm like, everything that has been done under the guise of, you know, whether it be humanity or uh, terrorism, it has been solely been done by your people with a sprinkling of our people here and there too. And I want to say this. Well, when it comes to our community, we know that we have a lot of bad, we have some bad apples in our community. That's not even, that. I don't think that's ever been an issue when we talk about the the what is going on in this country and the people who are doing it. It is the people that look like you that are doing it. And they're not just doing it to us. They're doing it to you too. So that's why I could understand why when Jesse got on the show, he was just like, we need to bring white manhood back because they're trying to get rid of the Christian white male. And I was just like, said a black man who could walk out in his house today or tomorrow and be bashed upside his head by the cops or a white cop or another white neighbor. I was thinking to myself, again, this goes back to people really have to know what it is they're fighting for. Because <laughs> uh, that guy made himself look like the biggest jackass on YouTube. And he does it all the time. I just can't understand why he does it. But um, And by the way, somebody bust out and told the guy, somebody said, oh, this is a gimmick. But then Jesse bust out and said, oh, no, this is real. <laughs> he said that this is real. Um, however, um, the, I, I, I guess I have to try to figure out, you know, where is the oppression coming from that these white people think that they're getting from black people? I don't see it. But if they are oppressed, it ain't by us. <laughs> I uh, it, it, it definitely is it by us. You do not want to put uh, black as the subject of oppression for white people. I just, you just, I just don't see it. But uh, maybe they're seeing something I don't see. Yes. No, I, I'm like I'm with you. Not at all. You know, I mean, it's. It, you know, it's by their own, you know? It's got to be by their own. I don't, I'm just, I got to figure out who, where's the oppression coming from? I, right. I, I even asked the white guy, I asked him, I said, sir, 
I got to hear this. Who's, oppre- what, who's oppressing you? Because he said we were oppressed, and I was like, well, you know, because when black people are saying that they're oppressed, it does get negative feedback. Nobody's oppressing you. No one, you know, it's your own doing. So now that this black guy is saying that white people are being oppressed, and now he's feeding that mess to these white folks and got these folks parakeeting this stuff, I had to ask. I was just like, I'm just shocked. I got to figure this out. I couldn't stop laughing. I was just like, you please tell me. I want to know. And if you can tell me, also show me. Where is it coming from? I'd love to see it. <laughs> I mean, because you guys are a protected class to a certain degree. So, you know, just enlighten me. I, I mean, inquiring minds want to know. Um, and I didn't get an answer back. So, you know, to, to, to heck with that. But, yeah, I think a lot of white people do feel that, and, and it was because there was a lot of Caucasian people commenting on this page, and they always comment on his videos. Um, they comment on Tommy Lee Sotomayor's videos, too. They love him. They love to hear him bash black women. Um, that's how, that's bread and butter. He loves bashing, bashing black women. Um, but anywho, yeah, man, this this political machine that they or this propaganda machine, it eventually die off. I just feel like um, they're pulling out the tricks that they have now because um, you can see that the empire is dying. Mm-hmm. Is dying. There was a video I saw the other day. Uh, this lady, she was promoting her book about transgenderism and how it was the the stage of a collapsing Rome. She was speaking about how you know in 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 Rome during the time that Rome was getting ready to collapse, you can see that there was a a lot of gender confusion. Not to say that Rome collapsed because of gender confusion, but you can see that obviously there was some type of mental instability going on because you there wasn't you can read and see in certain parts of the empire during the time that it was getting ready to collapse where gender neutrality was being promoted. And I was saying to myself, like, dang, you know, maybe maybe she's on to something. And, I mean, it just took me back to a time uh, I was reading um, this book of Latin maxims. I love reading maxims. I love reading Proverbs. There's so much truth in those things. And um, it was speaking about emasculation being uh, used well, let me let me put it in a um, a summed up concept. They were speaking about emasculation being a tool to overdo a conscious person, because the maxim alluded to the fact that if you were emascul if you were emasculated, you were not fit to 
handle your commercial affairs. That was a maxim. And I was like, well, it's a, I'm thinking like, well, what could you do with a person who's been emasculated or who doesn't have a concept of uh, gender role? Do you, you know, make a law down the line that considers this person a crackpot and then you strip him of his status and then you 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 civilly castrate this person and then you lay heavy you know taxes amongst this person i mean would he be equivalent to someone who committed treason or would he be you know uh would he be likened to an idiot or a minor so technically, if he he would be a minor if he can't handle his own affairs. Like, what did what is the what is the uh, I guess you can say what is the goal with that? What is the goal with promoting gender neutrality at such a time when the government seems to be either for, forcing a collapse? or there is a collapse coming. You know, like what what is that? What does what is going on with that? That's kinda like what I was just thinking about. Um especially when you're talking about um a possible fall of the United States of America. What happens to these people, uh, or what will the United States do with these people um, in a wake of some type of economical strain? You use these people as some type of collateral or something like that to pay off a debt, or you know, like these are the things that just rolls around in my mind. You know, when it's all over and done, because. I realize that these people are nothing but pawns, but just like they're nothing but pawns, I realize the people who are in this whole, who eat up this racial propaganda are nothing but pawns. The people who are, you know, in the music industry, they're nothing but pawns. Everybody's a pawn, um, and they're nothing but an end to justify some type of meaning. What that mean is, I don't know, but um, I just see these things. Um, transpiring to some greater degree, but I guess that's something we'll have to just wait and see. Uh, does anybody have any topics that they want to share? <clears throat> just station ain't falling on the record. It's Ema. I just want you to, you know, for the future of the people that are listening, for you to uh, it, kind of give a definition to the word emancip, you know, masculation or whatever that word was. Give a give a reference. Oh, Yes, emasculation. Yes, yes. Yeah, give a little, you know, for the future people, the future, to to understand what you're saying. So when I'm talking about emasculation, I'm talking about this. Um, okay, so nature has given uh, us, um, through the essence of time, a sense of gender role. And that has not been wholly debated in uh, 
I guess you could say in past societies, um, even though it the the question of gender neutrality or this whole making man and woman one gender or there be no gender at all, you know, come into question, this theory of it, you know what I'm saying? Because I feel like even now we still live in this theory of does gender neutrality or uh, uh, non-gender role societies work? And when it comes to emasculation, you're talking about taking the essence of a man and twist that, soften that, um, uh, make him less virile or um, take uh, possession of his manhood, not the pervy part, but just the essence of who he is as a uh, man fulfilling his gender role, taking that and then twisting his nature to be something that it isn't. And now you're dealing with a man who is uh, morally, um, spiritually, and mentally confused about how to carry out that gender role. And for the record, there is only two gender roles, male and female. It has always been male and female. But today, we are living in a society, uh, which is the United States, where gender neutrality is being pushed to make there a boundless uh, gender role or to make there no gender roles. Everyone can just be all of these different types of what they call genders, cisgender, um, transgender, transgender cis this, transgender that, transgender male cis. What, I, I mean, like, there's so many different combinations, and I'm thinking to myself, but then if you are coming up with all these different pronouns, then you can't say that there's a boundless or non-gender role because he's coming up with all these names for a gender. So the point of what they're coming up with, the, the point that they're trying to make for gender neutrality, it just falls back on their face when it's just a repetition of the two gender role, natural gender, divine gender role assignment. And when I'm when I was speaking earlier about uh, emasculation, uh, the uh, the young lady who wrote the book about um, transgenderism in the collapsing Rome, um, she was alluding to the fact that during the um, the fall of Rome, you see where the nature of manhood was being attacked, where men were becoming less virile or less uh, um, more feminine, more soft, and things like that. And she said that she saw the same type of things happening. And this is a caucus, by the way. She she saw that that same thing was that same concept was being perpetuated here in the United States, and she felt that because she was seeing the same pattern, and you could even see the same economical decline here in the United States, you, she 
was under the impression that it appeared that we would be living in the last stages alone. And I kept thinking to myself that she just might be on to something because even the Romans felt like when a person is emasculated, you then now subdue that man's nature. You subdued him. And when you subdue a person, you basically take everything that he is and you control it. So then now you have a society where there's so much economic confusion and to add insult to injury, uh, gender confusion, now you have a very unstable society that cannot sustain itself because nobody is sure of their role. See, people think of government role and the role of a man and woman and their, their, person, their personality and their person to be isolated uh, entities. They think that they're, they're, they're isolated, and they're not. Everything is divinely uh, uh, connected to each other. So when you are confusing the, the nature of the man and the woman itself, you are turning the very government on its own head. It's turning the government upside down from the inside out. So to make what I was saying very short, uh, the whole emasculation thing, it's just basically taking the nature of a man and the, 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 the gender role of a man and then twisting that to be that of uh, more feminine, um, um, more cowardly, um, um, more conscious, because I think I don't think a man who's confused in terms of his gender can begin to really understand himself, especially in the world of politics. A lot of people say, well, you know, there are a whole lot of homosexuals in politics. Yeah, but you uh, realize that a lot of these people only make decisions for themselves. They don't make decisions for the people. They don't make. They don't necessarily make decisions for their constituents. A lot of these people are very narcissistic, and they've been bred that way by the environment that they're in, because the whole one percent is predicated on this idea of being individual in in itself. They only care about themselves. So, I mean, I'm just going to say, you know, when I look at what this country is going through right now, I mean, it appears that, yeah, we are going through a phase where there is an attack on the man and his nature. And I feel like that is to that is to subdue him in a way where now there's no one to protect the woman and the man to not even uh, protect himself politically, economically, morally, and spiritually, and to you know make him to, to subject him to all different kinds of things, you know, make him an easy target for a lot of these programs that are being promoted, you know, through the Republican and Democratic Party, mostly through the Democratic Party. But um, 
I just want to put that on the record because that was asked of me, and I hope that what I'm saying can be verified now. Well, I know it's verified now, but I hope that it can be understood in the future um, because everything repeats itself, you know. Um, we don't live in an isolated generation. Everything has always just this it's always been consistent. Nature has never necessarily deviated away from its original design. Everything has been created to a certain certain type of pattern. This government is no exclusion. You know, we we're living in this theory of government right now and I I think that the theory will fall flat on its face pretty soon because I mean, the theory has been debunked so many different times. It's been it's been debunked by the very specimens, the people who live in it, and by the very people who try to uh try to uh um promote the machine. It just it doesn't work. A democracy doesn't work. Just doesn't work. But anyway, I hope that answers your question, Mom. Yeah. Or I yeah, hope that was yeah. a, I hope that the, was a yeah, definition to suffice. I'm sorry. You know, and I I agree. Um, you know, just looking over time, how, the, you know, and going back into the scriptures when you talk about uh, Rome and how it was uh, destroyed. Maybe because of some of that going on, you know, because partially of that. Also, it was typified back in Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, when the incident happened back there with the, you know, the three, well, they say three angels went in there and, you know, wanted to, you know, the guys in there were, you know, just gay and stuff like that, you know. I mean, this is something that's not new under the sun. Right. Um, what's new under the sun is the art of manipulation, mutation. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? To the mm-hmm. point where they can actually uh, mutate or mutilate the actual organs that the Most High has given onto us to uh, clear, clearly clarify what we are as a gender. You know, I know there are some that are born with both, and then they have to decide at birth what will one be. But, you know, in reality, people are... Uh, they up there in politi- in the political world, the uh, uh, Hollywood, uh, in different aspects of the higher ups, they have the power to do these things to manipulate, manu- mutilate uh, their young ones to be something other than what they really are. And you know the lies are, are great because a lot of people are, you know, we got our young people watching these people be icons and wanting to be right. like these people. Yeah, you know. I, I have no problem with what you do. That's you and the creator or you and whoever. But when it's a lie and it's presented to my people, my children, my, my you know, my loved ones, and they're sitting up idolizing something that, that isn't, I've got an issue with that. You know what I'm saying? It's, and it's happening. It's happening in sports. It's happening in, it's, 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 it's you know, you can go on YouTube right now. And you're, they got uh, uh, guys that actually literally get on there and do makeup, 
you know, I forgot what they call them. They got a show where they actually do makeup and they look they look real. But you know, then if it, people, I don't even know how they teach in school anymore biology. I know when I was growing up, biology was taught where you know the structure of a man and the structure of a woman. Right. There's a difference in between the two, and and most people don't want to accept that. They want to accept, well, no, he's a woman, or he's that's a woman, or no, that's a man. That's the, I said the structure. You have to you got to look beyond the makeup and and the hair and all that. You got to look at the physique of a man and the physique of a woman. It never right. lies. <laughs> you know, it then goes back to a conversation that I um that I know we had earlier about um, the whole racial propaganda thing, because I think that in the midst of it, a lot of people don't realize, here's the thing. Um, I had this conversation uh, with a brother um, on YouTube, and he was speaking about the whole situation where uh, we were talking about interracial marriage. And... um, one of the things that came up, because I, I did mention the whole um, uh, Deuteronomy, I can't remember, I can't remember exactly which verse, but I do remember the Ecclesiasticus verse, um, Ecclesiasticus 26, uh, verse 19 to 21, and um, it talked about race, but it talked about race in terms of racial preservation, and you know he was very adamant about saying that, oh, well, no, that doesn't talk about race. It talks about the spiritual race and this, that, and the other. I'm just like, brother, I get where you're coming from, but we're we're living physically. We're, we're living physically, and that pertains to something physical. These people weren't necessarily living, you know, in the clouds. You know, these people were living in a land where they had ideas of for their people in terms of culture and identity politics. So these people were talking to a specific group of people about certain ideals that they had for their people. So when you say uh, spiritual, you know, uh, spiritual race, what exactly are you talking about? Because that's not what this person in the book is talking about. And when he was speaking, he was talking about preserving, you know, gathering your when you get an inheritance, you sow it with your own seed and your own stock, so that your race will be confident in it, be confident in its descent, meaning that their race will be uh, confident in, you know, their heritage, be proud of who they are. Now, I'm bringing that up in regards to the whole conversation about what's being promoted in the schools and things like that. Because there's the whole concept of uh, I've heard people say that integration was very, is really bad for us, and it has always shown it on its face that it's been bad for us because look at what has happened to the black community in regards to it. There was a loss of businesses. The, the neighborhoods were gentrified. Um, there was, um, as far as home ownership, it, it, it seemed to have went away because, you you know, people were not purchasing the properties where they lived anymore, and then they were being, you know, gentrified out and, you know, dispersed throughout the, you know, sprinkled throughout the country and things like that. And then they're, you know, they've been pretty much subjected to, you know, 
getting along with, uh, you know, with other nations and things like that and send them to their school, and now they're being taught all kinds of things that will be contrary to the very nature of themselves. So when it comes to what is important for our people in terms of who we are, I think one of the things that we got to ask ourselves now is it's getting to a point where a lot of people, a lot of our people, especially uh, adults who are waking up to a certain degree or asking, you know, should I take my children out of these schools? Because they're teaching my children that there is no such thing as a man or a woman. Or they're telling, you know, showing my kids, you know, how to have anal sex and things like that, you know, talking about same-sex relationships. Not that it's not going on, you know, because I'm thinking to myself, you know, not thinking to myself, but I've heard certain people who who are trying to justify why they're teaching it in school as, well, see, you can't shield your children from the reality of these things because they're going on. That's not the whole point. I think that there's a point in time where, you know, you have to understand where there is a responsibility of the school and then there's a responsibility of the parents. The parents should be the one to tell their children what is going on in the world when it comes to sexual intercourse because that is sexual intercourse is a regulated commerce, I think, first in the home and then first in government. You understand what I'm saying? So you got to give the children, you have to give the children, you have to give the parents the right to do their job and don't take that away from them, all in the hopes of trying to uh, globalize and integrate and uh, educate because you're educating very impressionable people who don't know who they are anyway. You know, so when it comes to, you know, do we, you know, do we stay around these people for so long till we lose our self-identity or what? Because that's what it seems like that it may just happen. I know that it may not happen, but it just seems like that is where, that's where it's moving at for the new generation that's coming in. There's a little self-identity. And they don't even question it. Like, why are we learning these things? I mean, I didn't, you know, I wasn't learning this stuff when I was in school, and I don't see why they're learning it now. But it speaks back to a uh, um, situation in the book of Ezra where um, the men of Israel, they, they had to come before Ezra because there was actually – uh, something that was observed and noticed by one of the elders where the people were, you know, obviously going through some misfortune because of the, uh, today we would call it race mixing, but the, mar- the marriage of these strange wives. And they had an inquisition to uh, figure out who was married to all these strange wives, and then all of the men, came forward to the priest, and they basically confessed their sins, and all of these men had to put away their women or divorce their women and relinquish the rights of their children because they realized that that was something that was causing them a burden as a society. 
Um, I don't know what that's going to be like in the future if Israel is ever going to have any peace, but that's why I said earlier that there are some hard truths that our people are going to have to deal with, and uh, there's a reality that is coming in the wake of Israel formulating as a government because there are some things that have to be addressed that a lot of us may not necessarily be prepared to address them only because I know that we've been living in a society where we've been conditioned to be individuals instead of a tribe or a nation. So I'm I'm looking at it now, and if even looking at what we're talking about and what we're learning, it is hard. Yeah, it is. It but- is a very hard reality to deal with because when you look in that nature for what it is and the raw truth of it all, it is very hard to swallow. It's a whole lot you have to sacrifice. And when you've been conditioned under a system to promote individuality, you know, you just want to be yourself, and then you have to accept who you are in your heritage, and you come back into that. It's so much there's so many things that you have to deal with as an individual in the wake of formulating a government again. And to be truthfully honest with you, mother and brother, and everyone who's on here, and to the future listeners, I literally think that is why you do not have a mass influx of people who really want this truth because they do realize what they are going to be giving up. Look at what the whole situation with the Pharisees and, and, and Jesus. Don't think for one second that those Pharisees did not know what they were doing. See, a lot of people, I think that on the surface it just looked like a lot of people hated Jesus. When in reality, the people who had something against Jesus were government officials. And when you look at the people, the government structure at the time, these Pharisees were being ran or be, they were clients of Rome. Rome had the final say-so, and these people were just a bunch of henchmen for the Roman government. And when Christ came along telling our people we got to get back together because we got to formulate this government for the better of our people, them Pharisees were like, uh-uh, I want to hold my position as a priest, and I got to come second to nobody. So what do we got to do? We got to get rid of this nigga because he's not going to tell me I had to give up my position. I work hard for my position under these white people or these Romans. We got to off him because I'm not willing to give up. I'm not willing to give up. I'm not compromising my sobriety that I have right now under the master's table. That is why you don't see a whole push. A lot of people talk their conscious talk. It's so true. But when you look at what they work to accomplish under this government and what they are going to give up, mama and brother, I think you have to realize these people are not, they, I don't think they want to do it. And so they're forced to have to do it. The force is the last resort, but I don't think if they don't have to do it, they're not going to do it. I'm looking at it. A lot of these millionaires, 
a lot of these people in these fraternal orders, a lot of these judges, a lot of these senators, a lot of these mayors, a lot of these, you know, aldermen, priests, pastors, they don't want it because of what they got to give up. I'm looking at it, and I'm just like, I know now what the Christ had to go through. Or I'm realizing. I would say I won't know because I wasn't there. But it's evident by the very essence of truth that's circulating out in this government now. It's too many people who know about the children of Israel, who know about what's actually going on, and, and them not wanting to do anything about it. I mean, I don't get it. But to go back to the to the uh, original focus, when you put in something like that in the classroom and then you try to serve that as the truth, when in fact that is a theory, you know, our people have to make the hard, conscious decision of saying, is this hurting us or is this helping us? And you got to be stern in your convictions about it because I'm going to be honest. I, I don't believe in compromising the sanity of my child just so I can, you know, just so that they can get along with anybody. How can you get along with anybody when you're not even sure of yourself? What are you guys agreeing upon? You know what I'm saying? So that, I think that's something that people have to look into, man, because, I mean, it's too much stuff going on, and you're talking about a loss of identity, a major identity crisis that nobody, everybody knows what the identity crisis is, but nobody dare to touch it because they know, they know what they got to give up. They got to give up these sexual habits. They got to give up these sexual relations. They have to give up these political connections economical connections, these benefits, it's a lot, man. It's a lot. But um, I guess when you just, when you believe in something so strongly, it's like, does that even matter to you? And I think for somebody like me, I guess it doesn't really matter because I don't, I, I mean, I don't have a whole lot to lose. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I grew up dirt poor, so it's not like, you know, I'm going to miss anything um, in particular. Um, but I, I I have my own demons that I, you know, have to work through like everybody else. But the truth is the truth. And I think, you know, for me, it's just something that you just can't run away from. And like the brother uh, Eric said earlier, you know, when it gets to a point to where you see something start to surface or you see this government start to surface, those people who were very complacent, you'll see them subvert you'll see them you'll see them uh rebel. They'll rebel. But um time so long when they I I I just wanna make sure my thoughts were projected clearly on record. Um, does anybody have any other comments or questions that they'd like to um, put on record? Just state your name for and on the record. If 
the brother doesn't have anything. I just wanted to say that all that's transpired from day one of existence, even down to when it was documented in the uh, scriptures, all the way up till 2018, there's been a lot of uh, transformations and transitions in life for for living souls on this earth plane. I do believe that there can come a time, and I kind of use the analogy, if I put water in a pan and I put fire up under it and I boil it, eventually I just leave the fire up under and let it continuously boil, then what's going to happen? The the pot's going to become empty. And I truly believe that there might come a time in the history of mankind or the existence of life that it might be rolled up at, at a scroll because man can only go so far. Man is going to, to great lengths to do things that are beyond, you know, the norm. Yeah. And, and, and it's like being bitten. If you're being bitten, especially by a, a mosquito that gives you uh, a malaria or whatever, there's going to be an effect, a cause, an end result. So if if, if we as a people on this earth plane continue to allow these things to continue to happen, it's going to be no return. Yeah. Think about it now. If you have this thing of conformity to this is okay, to transgender this, rights that, law that, this, that, and other, then it's going to be in the mindset of the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. How can you reverse that? How? When you yeah. got these, when you got these individual groups, and like I said, they do their thing. I'm, I, I want to put on the record that I'm not uh, uh, advocating, advocating anything against anyone, but it's wrong. It's just outright wrong. And right. so, if you got these people doing these things and continuously doing this generation after generation, ask yourself. Using logic is what we are. Uh, uh, one of our principles in the nation. Using logic. Where is it going to end up? <laughs> How can you reverse something like that? Ow. You know, here's the thing. Um, I like to use this movie, um, The Hunger Games. I, 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 there's a fascination that I have for that movie. I love that whole uh, four-part movie series or whatever. Um, I guess because I, I've grown love for government. And you watch, um, you watch this whole concept of what looks like a democracy, and it falls, and then another democracy rises up. But when you look at how it falls and how it's set up, there were. Uh, there was this rebellion that eventually happened. And um, you can see the rebellion festering because the people were being oppressed all the time, every time, you know, being told what to do, what not to do. And I think, you know, even um, I think what usually happens over time, and it's the same thing that happened to Rome. When they, when they, yeah, it's the same thing that happened to Rome when they were overtaken by the Germans, they had all of these different laws for the for these German tribes, and 
Well, they had different. They had all kinds of laws for everybody that was in the empire, but it was the Germans that ended up overtaking these Romans. But you know, what ended up happening with these Romans and Germans, they end up intermingling. But the Germans were the one who ended up controlling what today uh, a lot of people are saying in the United States politics. They end up controlling the house, uh, but I'll just say they end up controlling the Roman Empire. They were the new emperors. Um, and the Habsburgs, I think, ended up sitting, eventually sitting at the at the height of the German uh, uh, hegemony. They ended up sitting uh, as the front runners for Roman imperialism because the Germans became the new Romans. You know, Rome, Roman it eventually just became like a name title for a group of people. Almost like the Rothschilds, because you know the Rothschilds are a bunch of uh, quote unquote German Jews, but the Romans end up kind of uh, be uh, end up becoming the Germans, so to speak, and um, or they end up intermingling with each other, and then you know the Germans end up they ended up controlling the Roman Empire. But I think what usually happens is like when you have somebody just being oppressed. All the time because I I know I realize that nature does hate oppression. Nature hates oppression. Nature advocates those who take their who who's very well of their rights, but nature is not necessarily a fan of trickery either. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, you're gonna play the game, play the game, but you do it at the expense of understanding. Like you always say, understanding cause, effect, and end result. You understand what I'm saying? If you, if you touch fire, no, you're going to get burnt. Mm-hmm. You know, you try to touch a lion, suspect to get eaten. You know, because these are the things that we, you know, we understand over time to have uh, just been considered normal. This is the, this is the effect of uh, uh, certain types of normalcy. So in when you talk about normal, uh, normalcy, it's normal for a rebellion to occur in the face of oppression. So to answer your question, when does it end? I think it ends when people have just literally had enough. I think this situation may just be a little bit different than the last, all the other times. Because, see, this doesn't just involve the German nation. You understand what I'm saying? This is a world, this is a yes. world thing. This is a system. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Just like I was just sitting here thinking about today. Someone was saying that Jared Kushner was the Antichrist, and I just kept thinking to myself, no, he's not the Antichrist. Because I kept thinking about the system. I kept thinking about Christ and what it what it was or what it is, and I just was like, well, Christ is a system. So it would only be very, it would only make sense that if uh, something to be considered an antichrist, they would have to be, and and they would be opposing a system of a Christ, then it would have to be a, it would have to be a, a system that would be juxtaposed to the Christ. So, why why not Antichrist being a system as opposed to a person? Mm-hmm. And if it's a system, 
it involves more than just one person, just like the Christ involved more than one person. Otherwise, you wouldn't just hear, you wouldn't have heard of Peter and Paul and James and Joseph and, you know, all these other different people who were part of the church, all these saints. You, have this, you still have the same makeup when it comes to the Antichrist. You have so many different factors. You have so many different people involved. It's not just, you know, the Germans. You got the Turk. You got the Turkish people. You got the Indian people or the East Indian people. You got the Chinese people. You got the Japanese people. You got the Saudi Arabians. You got the Hamites. Probably the biggest front runners because they're getting their money. You understand what I'm saying? Um, And they love the United States government. They love white people. Um, but aside from that, um, I just think that eventually when the people get tired, they're going to rebel. They're eventually going to rebel. But here's the thing. The United States knows that. <laughs> I mean, they, I think they predicated their whole – the United States government has predicated its existence on dealing with Rebellion, which is why they keep promoting all of these different propaganda because it's a test response as to well, what would happen if we actually had a full-on world rebellion, and who will be affected? You know, um, who would survive? You know, I mean, I don't know how that would work out, but I know that a rebellion is likely because the people all over the earth are, are oppressed. Yeah, you know. Um, yeah. And it's got to come somewhere, and one way or another, it's going in. Or somebody or something is uh, going to um, um, overcome. You know, Nate, I, I, I like to say it this way. One way or another, nature will have its Sabbath. You understand what I'm saying? Just like when the Israelites was taken from their land, it was written in the scriptures that the land finally had rest <laughs> from all the turmoil that was committed by the Israelites. And I was like, dang, what were they doing that was so bad that they had to be removed from the land? Mm. I mean, how do you take a whole people from a country? And it's like no more. They had to have been some really wicked people. They were. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? And I think that's why I fight so hard to try to be so understanding when it comes to slavery because I know that's a major deal over here. It's always in our face. It's always thrown in our face. We're always bringing it up. But I try to understand it so that I can understand who I am in regards to it, because I'm like, in order for some, in order for you to end up in the situation that you're in, you had to do something really bad, and for people to be wiped off the face of this earth, only to exist in name or in a whisper, in a rumor, you had to do something really bad. People only know us by a whisper or a rumor. We're literally a rumor. How do you be reduced to a rumor? 
By the declaration of the Most High. By the declaration of the Most High. That, that there have to be nothing but the Most High doing that. You are only mentioned as a rumor or a proverb. Like, that That scares me even now that I say it because I'm thinking to myself, I mean, it's like, it's like you, it's like that, that person walks into work who's about to be fired, but they don't know he's about to be fired, but everybody knows they're about to be fired. <laughs> like, that's how I feel the, the situation with us being Israelites. Everybody knows that we're about to be fired, but us. <laughs> and you're getting the looks, and everybody is shaking your hand. Hey, how you doing? You sure look good today. You look good, about to be fired. You work all day, and then they fire you at the end of the day. <laughs> you know, it's like it's crazy. Like how did like I, I guess I'm trying to fathom it because I, I guess because I I've never personally went through the slave trade, so I don't I don't know what that experience is like. But to just know that everybody knew of our shortcoming and we didn't, it's, uh, it's, it's something to just ponder over, but it's a lesson to be learned in all of it, you know. And I just hope that, you know, I just hope that our future generation can hear what we're saying at this time and just understand that, you know, we're we're not the Israel Israel has never been the most obedient people, but I I think what made us so special is because we always in even in our our words we always still try to have a connection with our Creator. Even when in slavery, we always still felt a connection with the Creator. Even while we were getting our backs sliced open with some whip, we were still believing in something, you know what I'm saying? What I'm saying so it's like I I I think that it's something that can't even now it's still something that can't be beaten out of us. A lot of people say, Well it was our heritage was beaten out of us and I'm thinking to myself, No it isn't. I don't I don't think so. I think we I mean, of course, you know, you, you lost the physical possession of uh, and physical control over the things that you possess, but I don't think that you ever lost the connection to the Creator. I think that that has always just been there. But I think with these damn devils, excuse my French, and their conniving science, trying to gene splice and create all these different uh, antigens and all these other different, you know, viral. Um, biological weapons to go in and alter a person's DNA to try to take the essence of what makes them them. You know, it, I think we are prey because they know who we are, and it's like they're trying to biologically take that from us. So that's something that we have to very we have to be conscious about. You know, um, I don't know. Uh, it's a lot. It's crazy. Touch with a talk, but nonetheless, and it can't be, you know, just brought. It can't be made. The point can't be made just with a talk. I know that's something that you know has to have to be examined in life. You have to figure out how that works. But I know these people are really up to trying to 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 do something with us. 
They upped the ante. I know they upped the ante. Yeah, they're very, very, uh, uh, um, they're very subtle. Did you get to see that, uh, uh, um, uh, one of the videos on um, what the suntan does under UV light on, on certain people on the pale skin? No, but I remember you had a, you had a conversation with us um, about it. You were saying that um, the uh, suntan made certain um, people. I think you would, you said that. Well, no, well, what did you say? Because I don't want to put words. The, 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 it, it, there's people that did experiment up under the, what the sun, what you would look like actually by the sun's UV, and mm-hmm. you know they put the UV um, lighting on people. Various people, pale skinned people, uh, you know, uh, dark skinned people and stuff, and 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 it showed, it actually shows what they actually look like under that light. You know, mm-hmm. like you could go into a room where there's a black light on, you'll see, you know, certain effects on you, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So they was using the sun UV rays light to uh, show, you know, what people actually look like under it. But that, that's that's not important. I was just saying that, you know. I was just wondering if you had checked that out. <laughs> no, but I need to because I want to see it now. Uh, it's really, it's really interesting because most pale skin people, um, their skin looks freckled, like it was, like it's brown, or you know, but it actually isn't, you know, under the regular lighting. And when they use the suntan lotion, it under that lighting, it makes it look like they actually look dark skinned. They actually look like they're putting some black stuff on their face. They actually look dark skin on the UV light. That's all. Mm-hmm. You know, and, of course, the dark-skinned people, you couldn't really tell the difference. <laughs> that just goes to show you that nature gave us something very special. You nature know, knows no color line, huh? <laughs> nature knows no color line. <laughs> you know, you I, gave I, want, us... I want to throw oh, something at you. Uh, Brother Priest had brought up. He asked me uh, the other day, was the news team ready to go on the radio? So, you know. Ooh. I I will have to get back to you on that. Right. And also, I know Eric's on here, too, you know. I told him we weren't, I, I, you know, I, you know, when you lose a lot of ground, when you're not really focused and you're right. doing other things, you get off track, and then I just don't think we're ready to do it live or anything like that. We'd have to go back and, you know, and then there's just a lot to transpire within that time. But I'm throwing it at you guys to see. Yes, ma'am, I, I, and I'm I'm glad you did because I know that was something I, I, I eventually would have to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um but I will I'll call you and I'll have a personal yeah, conversation. Yeah, just let me know. And then, Eric, if you're on here, let me know. You guys give me a call. Yes, ma'am, I will. Um, I, one thing I will say is I, I love the fact that we actually had the chance to have a run with it, not to say that we won't ever do it um, again. However, I'm glad that we actually had the preparation for it because, Again, I still do apply a lot of what I've learned through that medium in, you know, my daily life. When I try to um I try to research a little bit more. I'm not as good as I need to be, but I try to research a little bit more, um, or be a little bit more strong in my research when it comes to certain um evidence and things like that, um, with things being prevent of uh, Presented 
so that I'm thorough in how I deliver the news. Um, and even when I'm reading something, I try to make sure that I pronounce certain things a certain way. I help, you know, read certain reading a certain way so it's projected clearly and things like that. Um, yeah, it's been very helpful for me. And um, I still practice a lot of those things, a lot of those teachings that I've had from there. So it, it is always going to come in handy and it laid the groundwork for the things that we can do whenever whenever we decide to get back to it. Because I, He said I he's ready to... He said he's ready to, you know, get back into it. So that was just posed to, to oh, me. And so, yeah. you know, I'm just throwing it at you. I don't know. Is Ak Eric still on here? Yes, ma'am. I said, uh, yes, ma'am. Yes, what ma'am. was your intake on that? Uh, well, yeah, like like y'all said, we have to get back into the groove. You know, yeah. me, for me it was great because now I look at it as a, as a uh, court case each station. Mm-hmm. You know, either you're on point with the judges or you off point. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. You know, so it it just made me, you know, for future reference, you know, we going on with 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 the news, uh, handle my business, you know, just and, mm-hmm. and get more information as far as how to look it up and what you need to do as far as not getting for the copyright and all that, you know, you have to get back in that swing of things, you know, given the uh, news outlets who did it first, their their, uh, props or shout-outs, the way you get your information, you know. So it it, it, it was a learning process for me. Everything is new because, you know, like like Brother Cedric said, we coming from the dirt, from the mud. So uh, we ain't got nothing to lose. You know, right. the sky's the limit. So, with that, I yield. Yeah, because he had asked me, he specifically asked me, was the news team ready to get on the, you know, do the do a run on it? And I just specifically told him no, that no, we wasn't. We were at one time, but, you right. know, we would lost a lot of ground in, in, in uh, you know, uh, the material, music, everything. You know, it was just all, just, you know. So, uh, but I, I, you know, I told him I was going to talk to you guys and see where y'all were at on it, you know. Yeah. I, you know, and then, uh, of course, there's several people that are no longer in it, and it, we, we, it, it wouldn't be that many of us. I told him it was just a few of us, so, you know, but I thought I would bring it to you guys and let you, you know. And I, it, it was an experience, a learning experience, you know, Um and we were ready. I honestly believe we were ready at one time. I, we really mm-hmm. were, you know, when we was in the height of our, uh, you know, doing what we were doing. I mean, we had the people. We had the, 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 the knowledge. You know, we was ready. But it's, I think it's a little bit different now, so. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, but I, hmm? I wanted to, I, not to cut you off, I, I just, um, stumbled across this um, article of a guy named Draymond Green. Uh-huh. Uh, he's a basketball player. He went to Israel, uh, said Draymond Green's visit to Israel draws criticism, horribly offensive. It's July 12, 2018, and this was published on the Mercury News, written by Gary Peterson at 8.18 a.m. And it says, 
Warriors All-Star Draymond Green, who along with his teammates has expressed disinterest in visiting the White House. He is receiving criticism for his trip to Israel where he met President Reuven Revlin and fired guns at a border police training center. It is not every day I meet an all-star, Rivlin said, according to the Jewish Telegraphic Agency. Uh, Part of Green's trip was sponsored by the Friends of the IDF, Israel Defense Forces. (laughs) You got plays. Black Lives Matter activist Sean King chided Green, according to GTA, flashing a toothy grin with a sniper rifle in Israel on a trip organized by friends of the IDF is so horribly offensive. They've recently slaughtered unarmed Palestinians with those rifles. Dave Zarin, fourth editor of The Nation, piled on. Why reject Donald Trump and accept the invitation of Rodman? Zarin wrote, it is frankly shocking to see Draymond Green smiling and shooting guns in their company. These counter Terrorism border police units are part of a military that shot and killed Palestinians who were protesting at the border in May, less than two months ago. I'm confident that if he had been brief, he would not have gone, Temple University professor Mark Lamont uh, Hill told the Christian. Maybe, maybe not. Green is, among other things, intellectually curious. According to Jerusalem Post, Green visited several historic sites around the country including the Western Hall, where he left a note. He also played basketball at a sports center donated by FDIF supporters from Michigan, according to CBN. Uh, uh, Green, like Warriors and the Warriors organization, sees and considers a world beyond basketball. Just two weeks ago, he told CNN, it's all about what we stand for. In order to affect change, you have to stand for something. Given where he went and with whom he met, Green is certain to hear from others wondering what kind of change he believed he would he was affecting during his trip to Israel. Another certainty, he will emerge with his intellectual curiosity intact. I just want to put that on the record um, because I saw Israel and then I, I saw his uh, brother Draymond Green. Um, but I noticed that, you know, here we are again. Um, we're in the middle of uh, this uh, pol- these politics of which we get nothing from. You know, everyone's mad that he didn't go to shake the hand of the Republican Trump uh, and that he went to the country of Israel. And, um, you know, now they're talking about how, you know, it was wrong of him to, you know, partake in any Israel, Israel um, at the shooting range of where these people practice so they can shoot Palestinians. I mean, I don't know. It's like a never-ending war with black for black people. We just can't win or lose, and we're always in the middle of somebody's politics. I, I, I just want to put that on there. Um, and there was another article I just stumbled across. I just want to make sure I put this on here. Um, it says that the heck is it? It says that Asians displace blacks as most economically divided group. This is written by U.S. Today. It states states income inequality has been growing steadily among all Americans since the 1970s. But within racial groups, the gap between rich and poor is growing most rapidly amongst Asians in the United States, according to a new study. 
I don't even know if I should read the rest of it because I'm already getting where this is going. I already get where it's going. And it speaks, uh, this speaks, oh, and by the way, this was, uh, this was written by David Carrig. Last name spelled C-A-R-R-I-G, U.S. Today, three hours ago. Um, this goes back to what I stated earlier, that there's the 1% in how, you know, the 1% that was supposed to be oppressing the white people are white, and that they, these white 1% people don't care anything about the white people who are sitting here trying to oppress us or claim that we're oppressing them. Well, it's the same thing that can be said about the Asian or the Chinese people now. See, that's what I'm saying. Like, this 1% is not just a bunch of white people. It's, I think it's a it's obviously, and I think, Mother Amy, you already knew this, that it's a conglomerate of wealthy people across this globe, across this plane, you know, across, you know, this globalization. There's a whole bunch of wealthy people who are black, Chinese, Portuguese, Japanese, Saudi Arabian, Hamite, um, European, all of these people are in this 1%. They, you know, control the world's wealth. So now that they're trying to show that these Asian Americans, quote, unquote, um, they're, they're economically divided. Oh, well, I guess that's, you know, I guess not anything to be necessarily wowed by. I thought I would have been, but if anybody wants to read the article, it's in U.S. Today, and it's written by David Carrick. It was written three hours ago. I just want to put that on the record. I didn't. I apologize if I, I cut your conversation, Mother. If I did, I apologize. No, no, no. That's okay. fine. Everything's cool. Okay. No, you're good. <laughs> um, other than that, does anybody have any other... Um, any other uh, topics that they want to to uh, share? Just state your name for on the record. Okay. With that being said, I, I, we can adjourn for the rest of this evening. I do want to um, put on the record, and I don't think I did this last week, I do want to say rest in peace to Joe Jackson. He died recently. Um, Joe Jackson was the father of Michael Jackson, and um, Michael Jackson, he is probably one of my favorite singers in the whole world. I've uh, I've been listening to this man since I was a kid, Um, here and there, but the older I got, I've listened to his, you know, music more because... Uh, you know, I've been more interested in singers and things like that, but um, Joe Jackson is also the father of Jackson Five, which was the group that Michael Jackson was in. And I'm only explaining this because I know that somewhere down the line, this information may get lost in translation with the society moving out and moving in. And certain facts about these people may be, you know, lost. And for the record, these people were dark-skinned people, uh, big noses, uh, afros, and, you know, they wore jerry curls at one time. Um, and Michael Jackson was a dark-skinned man at one time. He was not always pale. I do want to just put that on the record because a lot of people in the future may grow up believing that he was some cop boy, you know, uh, 
who was just about world peace. He was very humanitarian. He was always a humanitarian, but I just want to preserve a bit of his his legacy here. And Joe Jackson was his father, and though he wasn't necessarily the most liked man because of the you know the history that was projected about him through the media, he was. Uh, I respect him because as a, a father, you know, he held his family together. None of his children, you don't even hear, I, I don't think I've ever in all my life heard about any of the Jacksons going to jail. Maybe except Michael Jackson. But it wasn't on his own accord. I I, I realize now why Michael Jackson, was, why Michael went to jail, but I do want to say that I uh, I like the fact that as a man, Michael Jackson, uh, Michael Jackson's father, Joe Jackson, kept his family alive, and you know he kept them together, and he brought them to a point where they have been revered as, I guess you could say, a royal family in their own right, you know. In, in the music industry, they are considered a royal family. I consider them a royal family, but uh, I, I grew to respect him over the years because how far their family has come. Um, but other than that, I just wanted to put that on the record, and I, I did it now because I don't even remember saying, you know, rest in peace to the brother, but I just wanted to put that on the record. Um, we can adjourn. It is 21 minutes after 9. I will see you guys back here next week, Thursday. Um, and shalom, shalom. 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 Shalom, Shalom. Oh, before I go, Brother uh, Eric, are you still here? Yes. yes. Question. Uh, were you guys able to see the video? Uh, no, sir. We, we'll check again tonight in our text. It's interesting. I don't get it. I mean, I mean, it's showing up when I do when I when I do it, but I'm saying it's not showing up when you guys do it. I'll figure it out. I'll figure it out. Yes, sir. It, uh, might, it might be up right now. Uh, you guys hadn't checked it last night when we got offline. Yeah, we, yes, sir. I checked it last night when we got offline, and and uh, well, we getting the groceries out the car now. So. Right. Let me ask you guys a question. Did you guys get the message that I sent to the university about it? Uh, about you posted it? Yeah, and letting me know whether or not you saw it. Okay, no, we we probably got off before then. Oh, okay. Well, check back again tonight and just let me know in the university whether or not you guys were able to watch the um, video, and I'll try to make sure that I um, get it fixed. Yes, sir. All right, brother. Thank you. Shalom. Shalom.